Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHerCon is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics, all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. You don't know what's going to come out of the pike, so you have to be open to look at everything. I don't know everything, so I might look at something and I may not know what it is. I mean, I may not have all the resources myself, but I can be resourceful. Whether it's going through the RIA or my networking, I may not know everything, but I could go to someone like you, Joe, or somewhere else and find and have someone help me. Best ever listeners, wouldn't it be nice to have a $2 million pre-approval line of credit? Ah, just think about that. Isn't that nice? Wouldn't that be nice? How would that help you get more deals done? Because when you submit a pre-approval line of credit with your offer on a fix and flip house, do you think it's going to stand out more? I think so. And our friends at Fun That Flip, you know Fun That Flip, Matt Rodak, he's been on the show before many times. He's a friend of mine. He's also the owner of Fun That Flip and they're a sponsor of today's episode. What they're doing is they're giving a $2 million pre-approval line of credit up to $2 million pre-approval line of credit for qualified buyers. And my gosh, in this competitive buying market, sellers prefer to sell to buyers who have a high likelihood of closing, right? Makes sense. Well, use this pre-approval line of credit from Fund That Flip and that will signal to the seller that you're the real deal and you'll be able to close quickly. It's free. All you got to do is go to fundthatflip.com. You've got to qualify that you have prior experience and there's a process, but it's free and you need to go to fundthatflip.com to get the pre-approval line of credit because this is a way that's going to help your short-term rehab loan happen because you're going to get the deal for the property where you need the short-term rehab loan. Go to fundthatflip.com and get that pre-approval line of credit for up to $2 million. Best ever listeners, hello. Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is a show where we cut out the fluff and we only talk about the best advice that moves your business forward. We've spoken to Barbara Corcoran from Shark Tank, Robert Kiyosaki, the author of Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Jay Pop is on the co-author of The One Thing with Gary Keller. And with us today, we've got an experienced real estate investor. How you doing, Stuart Gethner? Hey, thanks for having me on the show, Joe. My pleasure, my friend. And looking forward to diving in a little bit about Stuart, and then he'll get into it in more detail. He is the president of Phelps Capital Consulting. He assists those with 25 k to $2.5 million to invest in real estate. He presents 
at RIAs all over, and specifically one of them that he's well known at is the Arizona Real Estate Investors Association and the National RIA. He has invested over $10 million bucks in Arizona real estate, and he's based in sunny Scottsdale, Arizona. You can say hi to him at his website, stuartgethner.com, or you can just click the link in the show notes tab. With that being said, Stuart, you want to give the best of our listeners a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on now? Hey, first, again, thanks for having me, and I love your podcast and honored to be on. We focus in the Arizona area a little bit of everything. We do wholesale. We're doing a lot for wholesale. We're doing fix and flips. We're a real estate investment firm. So I like to joke, if you tell people you're a short sale specialist, back in 2008, 9, and 10, you were probably very busy, but right now you're not. So you have to be adverse and a little bit about everything. And so we do just about everything. You do just about everything. So whenever I read on your site that you've invested over $10 million in real estate, is that investment dollars or is that total worth of property? Those are investment dollars, and thanks for noting the difference. So we've done land deals up in North Scottsdale. Where we've done some pre-development. I uh, did a land deal also in Phoenix, a uh, fiveplex that was burnt out down in t- uh, sunny Tucson. So whether it's development with land, commercial, have a commercial p- a few commercial pieces right now, it's an aggregate of what we've invested. I love the approach of you being a real estate investing company versus focused on one thing. I love it because I don't come across it very often, and I want to dig in here. I think it's going to be a unique conversation. So how do you structure your organization so that you can focus on basically any type of area that makes sense? Great question. Back in my previous life, I'm actually a pharmacist, and I used to own pharmacies here in in Arizona. I've had two retail stores and and a nursing home pharmacy. We were in about 35 states when we sold the businesses in December 2012. And I learned from that experience there's a difference between working on your business and working in your business. When I had the pharmacies, I was in them, I was managing them, I worked in it. When I established this business, my focus was on building and creating a business that I could work on and not in. So it starts with infrastructure. I'm fortunate to have a business partner, Joey Paradise. So finding the right mix of someone you can lean on is where it starts. And then since then, we've grown with employees, not 1099 contractors, but with an office uh, in Phoenix. And we have a a tremendous executive director, uh, Liz Barnett, uh, assistant, Candace Harrison. And then we have some part-time with Dalton Grant and uh, and Don to support with the pieces that we know we know how to do, but we should not be doing them. We should be focusing on, as investors, writing our offers, tweaking our marketing, and closing our deals. I can do the books. I've done the books. But that's not what I should be doing. So as we've grown the business, we've found people that we can lean on to assist us so we can eventually begin to, again, grow and work on and not in. You've got a business partner. And is that (laughs) – this is not the first time someone's asked this. Is that his real last name, Paradise? Joey Paradise is his name? That's exactly his last name, and I'll tell you, when we send our direct mail pieces <laughs> and they use my name or they, we use his name, his name blows it out of the water. <laughs> I bet. All right, so you've got a, a business partner, and you've got an executive director, an assistant, and some part-time people. Who does what? Again, we focus on the most important piece of the business. So as deals come in, Joey and I, we evaluate them. If we're too busy, we evaluate them individually and then bring them to the table. 
So what we lean on for with Liz, whether it's a, as a transaction, help us with the trans transaction coordination, everybody answers the phones because there's not one, just one person, whether you're part-time or full-time. And then we have the systems in place to funnel them, to vet them, whether they're you know, contenders or pretenders for deals. And then we do our evaluation. We evaluate everything, regardless whether it's commercial, residential. Most of the time when you do your marketing, you might get a caller that wants to sell something, but not on the property you marketed to. They may have something on an outlying area. So we don't want to turn that opportunity down. That may be an opportunity to wholesale a property. So we evaluate everything. We write offers when applicable. And we have an excellent follow-up system. What percentage of the pie makes up each part of the business? So, you know, single family, apartment, land development. Can you give us a percentage of each, roughly? Sure. Roughly, uh, single family residents, including like condos, townhomes, and such, probably dominates 40%, 50 at any time, 60% of our portfolio. Multifamily, 10 to 20%. Land at the present moment, zero. But we've had 40 acre parcels. I believe an associate of mine, Scott Bauer, has a land deal tied up that we're going to look at. So at any given time, a commercial part of my portfolio, probably 20%. Mm -hmm. Got it. You got single family, you got multi, and then you got land. Is that, that's basically, do you do any um, storage units or no. parking lots, anything crazy like that? No. I would probably look at it. Had someone who talked to the other day on a single family residence. The gentleman told me he had a, he said he had 69 properties. He had two that he wanted to get rid of. We were not able to come up with anything on the two and he didn't want to give me any more of the other properties he had but in conversation I said did you want to sell anything else and he said well I got a mobile home park with 38 spots I'd like to sell <laughs> okay we'll look at that so you, you don't know what's going to come out of the pike so you have to be open to look at everything I don't know everything so I might look at something and I may not know what it is I mean I may not have all the resources myself but I can be resourceful whether it's going through the RIA or my networking, I may not know everything, but I could go to someone like you, Joe, or somewhere else and find and have someone help me. How would you structure that? And perhaps instead of hypothetical, perhaps use a past example of one time where you went outside of your comfort zone and you did a structure with someone who helped you close a deal. When we work with investors, every time we work with investors and bring in outside money, they're all unique and uh, investors as people and they're all peculiar and they've all had their own experiences give you an example had an opportunity to work with an investor on a deal that we're closing today and the hard money lender said in an email when he saw that the investor was going to put up the funds for a second and the repairs that they didn't want to lend on a deal that had any second recorded at the same time and I come to find out that the reason being and you may have heard this happen to you or the listeners before, sometimes when they record, they might record the second first and the first second. Mm -hmm. So they don't want to have that happen. So I responded in, in, in kind to the lender and says, okay, well, we'll break them out in separate pieces. But the investor, when he saw that email, he felt that he was no longer part of the deal, that that lender didn't want any investors, no liens, nothing. So that the day came for him to wire the money, he didn't wire the money. Because he, when he saw that email, that he was out of the deal. Even though I had called him the next day in the morning and spoke to him, he just read the email and interpreted it that his money wasn't needed. So he figured he was just out. 
And when I explained to him, no, we just have to structure it differently. We have to record separately or put up a different parcel to secure some solvable issue. He just didn't understand. Everybody comes with their own peculiarities. He's wiring the money we're closing today. But that's what makes it peculiar is each deal is different because you're dealing with people. You mentioned earlier fiveplex that was burned down. Can you give us the story on that property? We're happy to. So we live in the valley, which is Phoenix. We got an opportunity from a bank that wanted to liquidate a property, and we felt they were giving it away. And so we drove down there. It's about a good 90-minute, two-hour drive, depending on traffic. And we saw the value, and it was across the street from a church and a mobile home park. A little rough in the area, but we still saw the value. So we were able to take it down. The bank who wanted to get rid of it was nice enough to finance us for the transaction. And it was short-term financing. And as we looked to develop it and we cleaned it up a little bit, we walked the property many times with a fire inspector. What permits do we need? As we started to actually bite into it and take it down to rebuild it and put it back together again, the church from across the street approached us and said they were looking for a structure to have like a daycare in. They had liked what we started doing and would we be interested in selling? And we said, sure, we'd sell for this price. And they said, okay. How much did you buy it for from the bank? I want to say forty-five, sixty-five thousand in that neighborhood. Okay. And how much did you put into it? No more than ten grand. With the with the uh, you said the fiveplex was burned down and you only put ten grand in it. It had a fire. Okay. So the inspector, it was an older structure, and the fire inspector said that we if we just replaced the areas in the ceiling where the truss had been burnt, we did not have to replace the whole roof. So his comment to us was, the roof hasn't fallen in 50 years. It's probably not going to fall. Just repair these areas over here. And the fire was in one of the units, so it got gutted. We just did some basic cleanup that was, and securing the, the property. Hmm. That's all we really did. Awesome. So you're 75 all in, roughly, and how much did you sell it for to the church? About 150. And over what period of time? Four or five months in that neighborhood there, a couple okay. seasons. Excellent. And when you structure your deals with investors, how do you typically structure a deal? We play within the rules from the perspective of we're not a security, we're not a fund. We're looking into that at this time. But right now we'll joint venture with each as we'll do an LLC. So our company, Phelps Capital and Consulting, or if we're going to buy and hold, it's Phelps Property Management. We'll partner with their team in a separate LLC. And we've done this a few times. Uh, other ways we've done it is if they just want to be a, a debt partner where they're just going to lend us the money, we'll just put them on our books as a note payable at whatever percent rate. And in that example, did you do a joint venture or a debt partner? Our preference would always be that they're a debt partner sure. and we don't have to split the pro proceeds with them. Again, it just depends on the investor. It depends on the project. Everybody's different and every deal's different, but we'll structure that in a way that it's favorable for the investor. We'd rather have a piece of the pie than nothing at all. Mm -hmm. And so, that fiveplex example, was it a joint venture? No, Joey and I, we just paid cash for it. Okay, he just paid cash. Uh huh. Uh, and, but you said you got it financed from the bank that you bought it so, from. Uh huh. So they let us take it down with their hard money, and then we, I think we paid them when we, re, we took the bank out and we paid for. Um, just a, it needed a cleanup, the dumpster and the crews. So we took out the bank after a couple months. They were short-term. They just wanted to get it off their books. And, again, we think they gave it away. 
So we were happy, and we were happy with uh, the sale of the profit. And our biggest challenge with that property was that it was a two-hour drive. And so we knew that at some point in time, we're going to drive down there to meet the drywall guy or to meet the electrician, and they're not going to show, or they're going to cancel at the last minute. Mm-hmm. So that was always a struggle for us because of its distance and how far we wanted to carry the project out. So we were very open to selling it, even from the get-go, because it was a schlep to get down there. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. What is an example of a deal that you did a joint venture on? I uh, have an investor in Chicago. who um, We found a fourplex out here in Arizona. He wrote the check to buy the complex. We bought it for two sixty. He wrote a check for two sixty-five. dollars uh, We took a $5,000 fee, and then we manage it, and while, we, while it's owned, he's then refinancing it, which just recently got completed. This is our second deal with him. And then when he refinances it, we need to put the cash in, 20% down, and we get a very favorable interest rate. So right now, I think he's going to get about four and three quarters percent. So our commitment to the project will now be... 10% of that 20% down. Mm-hmm. However, because there's been some management costs and some repair costs and some maintenance costs along the way over the past few months, that will wash out in the 20% down. And do you own 50%? We'll own 50% and split 50% of the proceeds after a management fee. That was our second deal. Our, our first deal with this gentleman, we bought a vacation rental in Scottsdale. He wanted to buy something. He called me and said, you know, I really want to buy something. The Super Bowl's coming. This is a couple of years ago. I think we can do a great deal running for the Super Bowl. And I said, you know, that year we also had the Pro Bowl. And then we have spring training. So we bought something in December. We got it decorated. We had it rented for the Pro Bowl. Had it rented for the Super Bowl. Had it rented for all spring training. We found a corporate rental for that summer. And before you know it, we're in season again. And now we're now rented through October on that property. This is our second year together. Same scenario. He wrote the check. We took a $5,000 fee. He refinanced it at a favorable interest rate. We were responsible for the 10 of the 20% down. We offset with the furniture and the other utilities and such. And it's very positive cash flow. He's a very, very happy investor. Have you taken a look at what the referral sources are for the investors that you have in your deals? You don't know where your next investor or your next deal is going to come from. But what you need to create as an investor, as an ideal seller, is an ideal property, is an ideal partner, is an ideal investor. So Joey and I sat down with our coach and we talked about who would be or what would be an ideal investor for us. Like we mentioned a little earlier, we'd rather have a debt than an equity partner. Mm-hmm. We'd rather understand real estate and understand our value so that they'll pay a 5000 or $10,000 fee for us putting the deal together and won't nickel and dime us. Someone who won't be hands-on on, on management. Someone who trusts us, has the confidence. So we create what we're looking for, and then when something else appears, we're not distracted in pursuing it because we know it doesn't fit our sweet spot. Mm-hmm. And so that's what we look for like I mentioned, with investors, people who see our value, people who can write a check, and you ask where do they come from, they come from everywhere. And and if you don't have anybody in your sphere of influence that you know, whether it's a rich uncle as an angel investor or a dentist or chiropractor, pharmacy, if you don't know a professional, then we need to put you in the arena where they are. And the arena that we need to put you in is one that you're comfortable with. So 
if your kids go to Boy Scouts or kids play soccer or if you're a member of the church or whatever fun organization you belong to, they usually have a formal event. They usually have networking events. And so we want to put you in an arena that you're comfortable with to meet those people that have those kind of funds and that see your value. So it's a process and you have to start. For your deals specifically, where would you say a large percentage or the highest percentage of investors come from? What referral source? They come from me. So I put it out there in a variety of ways that I'm looking for investors. For example, I'll say on your podcast, I'm looking for investors. I teach at the real estate school. I teach for National RIA. Uh, I'm also on staff at the Commercial Real Estate Institute here in the Valley. So I have some exposure. I also host with my partner, Joey, uh, once a month, something called what we call the Wednesday Night Club, where we just give back to the community. We host it at the Embassy Suites. We bring in a speaker that talks about something real estate driven and they're not allowed to sell. And so I network more toward experienced investors and people bring their friends. And so just by putting it out there and creating it, I've attracted it. How did you get involved in the teaching in terms of, did you seek that out going back to when you first got in the door or did they seek you out? Great question. I, I was fortunate enough to apply for a job at a community college teaching the Certified Pharmacy Technician Program for Rio Salado Community College, and I enjoyed that. And as I started going to the RIA meetings when they started out here for ASRIA, I approached Alan Langston and said, you know, I, I think I could teach a few classes, and he didn't know me from Adam, so he interviewed me, and so I, I kind of reached out, and we created the classes together. So I've written a lot of the manuals, the lease options class, the short sales class, fundamentals for investors class how to buy property in bankruptcy. So I've created those with him, and then I did some work for the National RIA. So I guess the answer is I went out there and got it. What's your best real estate investing advice ever? No, that's a great question. So I thought about that, and, and I would think that it's, it's not so much the best real estate advice, it's just advice in general. And that would be when you're starting down the path of being a real estate investor, when you're starting down the path of being anything, you're creating it. It's never been done before. And so you have to have clarity of what you're trying to create. If you don't have the clarity, then you're going to get distracted and you're going to get discouraged. And I see a lot of beginning real estate investors get distracted with the next new shiny object, whether it's taking the seminar on notes or taking it on fix and flips or sandwich lease options. They're distracted because they don't have the clarity to stay focused. And even when you have the clarity and even when you have the focus, there are, are going to be bumps in the road. And so we need to be persistent. And having clarity, being persistent along with discipline will help you create your dreams. And you got to have a dream to have a dream come true. We forget to start pondering our dreams because we get so rigid in our lives with our responsibilities. So if you want to create something, it's doable with the help of others. But we have to know exactly what it looks like so we can start heading down that path. You ready for the best ever lightning round? I'm honored. All right, let's do it. First, a quick word, though, from our best ever partners. Best ever listeners, if you're looking to take control of your retirement and you have a 401k or IRA, then check out Sense Financial. It's S-E-N-S-E financial.com. They offer you the chance to take control of your retirement accounts through the self-directed 401k and IRA 
programs. You can request your free consultation at sensefinancial.com. Best ever book you've read? Um, that would be The Millionaire Real Estate Investor by Gary Keller. Best ever personal growth experience and what would you learn from it? Starting Phelps Capital Consulting has been a tremendous growth experience. And the advice I've learned for it, I just gave you, is that I'm creating it. And if I don't know what I'm creating, uh, it's going to take a while to create it. There'll be bumps in the road. But, uh, but that's how that looks. What's the best ever deal you've done? I did a fix and flip where I made $180,000. Can you tell us the story on that? It was a McMansion that we took down in Mesa, Arizona. And we were able to buy it uh, for under 100000 It was worth well over 400 And we were able to put the monies into it. The market was hot back in the day, and it sold quickly. What's the best ever way you like to give back? I love giving back. I'm a big animal fan. So for me to give back, we donate $100 out of every transaction to Home for Good, which is across the street from our office, and Sniff, which is another animal rescue facility here in the Valley. So I, I'm a big animal fan. What's the biggest mistake you've made so far in real estate? Not trusting my gut. And will you tell us a story on that? We have energy around us, and sometimes um, we just don't trust our gut. Is so, there a specific example, though? Every day I come across deals, I come across potential sellers, I come across potential buyers, and you just have to trust your gut. You have, you, you have to have the confidence in yourself that you know what you're doing. What's the best place the best ever listeners can reach you, Stuart? Uh, by email, Stuart, S-T-U-A-R-T. The at sign, and then my last name, Gethner, G-E-T-H-N-E-R, Stuart at Gethner.com. Stuart, thank you for being on the show. Thanks, Joe. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, sharing your advice with best ever listeners and talking about your business structure, how you bring in leads, and you identify where the right places to take those leads using just resourcefulness if it's outside of your wheelhouse. And love the specific examples you gave from the five plex that had a fire and ended up selling to a church, making about $70,000 or so profit on that one, seventy-five, And then the uh, $180,000 flip that you mentioned earlier. And also something that resonated with me was when you talked about how you create an ideal investor and you write that down and you visualize it so that you know when you actually come across an ideal investor. And one thing that you mentioned is that you look for debt over joint venture or equity partners and uh, certainly can understand that for the upside potential. That's definitely beneficial. So really appreciated all of your time and your advice on the show and hope you have a best ever day and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks again. Best ever listeners, if you're looking to take control of your retirement and you have a 401k or IRA, then check out Sense Financial. It's S-E-N-S-E financial.com. They offer you the chance to take control of your retirement accounts through the self-directed 401k and IRA programs. You can request your free consultation at sensefinancial.com.